A U.S. airstrike in Iraq killed the leader of an Iranian-backed militia. How will that impact U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Finally, I can confirm that on January 4 at approximately 12 p.m. Iraq time, U.S. forces took necessary and proportionate action against Mushtaq Jawad Kazim al-Jawari, a.k.a. Abu Taqwa. And U.S. funds to replace equipment sent to Ukraine have officially run out. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Friday, January 5th, 2023. A quick heads up for you guys. Be sure to tune in on Monday for an episode with Marine Corps Times reporter Irene Lowenson on why the Marine Corps is cutting and replacing infantry battalions, scout sniper platoons. First up, the U.S. military conducted an airstrike in the capital of Iraq on Wednesday. It killed an Iranian-backed militia leader involved in recent attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria. Uh, They have been against groups that are sponsored by Iran, Iranian proxies, to include Han and Qatab Hezbollah. Uh, And so those those forces uh, have represented a threat to our forces. And again, we maintain the inherent right of self-defense and will take necessary actions to protect our forces. Uh, and that will continue to remain our focus, uh, as well as doing the mission which we're there to do, which is to help defeat ISIS. Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins us with the latest updates. So, Megan, what are U.S. officials saying about the airstrike in Baghdad? So, January 4th, about noon Baghdad time, the U.S. struck a sort of a headquarters, it's not totally clear, in central Baghdad um, of an Iran-backed militia that has been according to intelligence, involved in some of these attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. Um, And that strike killed the head of that militia, Abu Taqwa, um, and another militia member who has not been named. And why did U.S. officials choose to target this militia leader? Was there just an opportunity given his involvement with attacks on U.S. personnel in Syria and Iraq? So the Pentagon press secretary didn't say anything about an imminent attack, and he also wouldn't really explain why this militia was targeted versus some of the other militias um, in Iraq that the U.S. knows are involved in these attacks. Um, One could probably surmise that this was, you know, they they knew where this person was going to be. They knew that this was a safe spot to do it, and they knew that this group was involved in some of these attacks, and so they went for it. Um, the Pentagon was eager to point out that um, no other infrastructure or civilians were harmed in the attack, so it seems like this was just a clear target, uh, and so they took advantage of it. Another important story, the U.S. is officially out of money to replace weapons sent to Ukraine. That's what Pentagon officials told reporters yesterday. You know, we have no more replenishment funds. uh, And so right now I'm not anticipating any new PDA announcements in terms of of new uh, capabilities, uh, which is why 
you know, we will continue to work closely with Congress and urge them to pass the supplemental. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder said there are $4.2 billion left in authority to send aid to the country, but the lack of replenishment funds will likely lead to a pause in support in order to avoid risking the readiness of U.S. forces. Administration officials had issued warnings about this outcome for months as Congress debates funding the federal government and White House requests for additional Ukraine aid. A group of senators is negotiating a dual border security deal to send more than $60 billion in military aid to Ukraine. The Pentagon announced its final Ukraine aid package in late December worth $250 million. Also on your radar for today, a decade-long Marine Corps reposturing is underway in the Indo-Pacific. Marine Corps Times reporter Irene Lowenson joins the episode to break down those movements. So Irene, could you describe to us the strategic reasons military officials are working to move Marines from the island of Okinawa in Japan to the U.S. territory of Guam? This has actually been in the works for more than a decade. Um, The United States and Japan decided back in 2012 to relocate thousands of the Marines currently on Okinawa, which is a prefecture in Japan, to outside of Okinawa, outside of Japan, beginning this year in 2024. So about 5,000 of the Marines currently on Okinawa are going to move over to Guam, which is an unincorporated territory of the United States. The movement is going to be gradual, but it's starting this year, 2024. The Marine Corps has said that it wants the base to serve as a logistics hub in the Indo-Pacific. And the Indo-Pacific is increasingly a really big focus for the Marine Corps because the DOD has decided that China is the pacing threat, is the, the top priority for the military. So that region is of particular importance. And what are preparations looking like on the island of Guam? Well, it seems like the Marines, the Marine Corps is working on it. So there are forty more than 45 projects currently under construction at the base, which is called Camp Blas. In fiscal year 2024, the U.S. is spending about $680 million, and Japan is contributing $430 million to these construction projects. The base is working on opening four live fire ranges this year and an urban combat training area. There's been some opposition from environmental groups and indigenous rights activists on Guam who have concerns about the impact of construction on Guam's endangered species and on culturally significant burial sites. The Marine Corps said in a comment to me they're working to minimize those impacts to natural and cultural resources, and they're spending some money on on making sure that they minimize those impacts. But you know, there, there may be more controversy to come regarding the construction projects. And now here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. CNN reported a federal judge ruled that West Point can continue considering race and missions during a prolonged legal battle over affirmative action. Military.com reported that the Army's former top enlisted leader, Michael Grinston, took the helm as CEO of the nonprofit Army Emergency Relief. The organization helps soldiers in need. Reuters reported that the ex-president of Sierra Leone was charged for his alleged role in a failed military coup. And Myanmar's military government pardoned nearly 10,000 prisoners yesterday. But that apparently included only a small portion of the thousands of political detainees jailed for opposing army rule. And on this day in history in 1957, 
President Dwight D. Eisenhower delivered a proposal to Congress calling for a new and more proactive American policy in the Middle East. The Eisenhower Doctrine, as it came to be known, established the Middle East as a Cold War battlefield. The proposal sought to deter Arab nationalism from forming a pro-communist alliance with Moscow. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com ebb to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, The Associated Press, Irene Lowenson, and Noah Robertson. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.